Uh, good morning. We began a, a, a series a couple Sundays ago. What we're doing throughout the fall really is we're uh, investigating together many of the I am statements of Jesus that are found in John's gospel. So that's in the New Testament it's on or around page 740 that we're going to be today. We're going to be in John 8 and in John 9. But what we're doing is we're looking at these um, somewhat famous statements of Jesus that he said, I am the vine, I am the, sh- the good shepherd, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And we're wondering together, who does Jesus think he is and why does it matter? One of the things I said the first week is that the God that we imagine is the God that we live with. So whatever we picture God being like, whatever picture we've been handed or constructed, that ends up being the God that we relate to, for good or for bad. Hopefully, we have a right picture of what God is like. And if we do, then we relate to him rightly. And not only do we relate to him rightly, but we become who we really are. But if we have a false picture of what God is like, then that leads to all kinds of terrible things. Terrible things in our relationship with God, terrible things in uh, our relationship to one another, and even how we move through and live in relationship with the world. So we, we, we want desperately to live with God in reality, and we believe that Jesus is uh, the truest picture of what God is like, that um, he is the exact representation of his character and his being. And so when Jesus says, I am, that's important for us. That's a clue that we should hone in on what it is that Jesus is saying and what that saying points us to in terms of the God who is real, okay? So today we're looking at Jesus' famous saying that he is the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. So I mentioned that we're going to be in John 8 and 9. In John 8, we're going to be in uh, verses 12 to 20, and then we're going to jump forward to John 9, verse 1, and read to verse 12. If you can't find it, don't worry. Just listen. John 8, verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am the one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. They asked him then, where is your Father? You do not know me or my Father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. John 9, verse 1. As he went along, 
This is after the temple. He's leaving the temple. As he went along, he saw a, blind, a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it's day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him. Wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him, begging him, asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they asked. And he replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and I washed and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. The story goes on from there, but I think that's enough to proclaim some good news. And the good news that we proclaim is that Jesus is the light of the world. The whole world. He reveals who God is and who we are so that we can accept what's real. And here's what's real. God is our healer and our advocate. He comes to restore, to redeem, and to reconcile. Get to know this God today by coming out into the light and be healed. How many of you are fans of Christian movies? Some of you are. I'm, I got to be honest with you, I'm not typically. I know that's, so sometimes um, people recommend Christian movies to me, and sometimes I'll see them and sometimes I won't, just to be honest with you. Um, we get to be where we really are today, and this is where I really am. But sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll be intrigued by the concept of a movie, and it's, but instead of watching the movie, I'll go and read the book or listen to the audio book that might go with the movie that sort of inspired the movie, you know what I'm saying? Um, so th this was the case on one occasion when it came to the movie, I Can Only Imagine. Anybody see that movie? There's quite a few of you. Great. I have no idea how the movie is, okay? So I'm not saying it's a bad movie or a good movie. I'm just saying I haven't seen the movie, but I've heard the audio book that inspired the movie, okay? So if there are differences, take it up with the, uh, the writers of the movie. Okay, <laughs> but um, I listened to the audiobook, and, and if you've seen the movie, if you've listened to the audiobook or read the book or know anything about the story, it is, um, it is the story of the band Mercy Me, who wrote and, and performs one of the uh, most famous Christian songs of all time. And um, the singer's name is Bart Millard. Bart it grows up in a small Midwestern town. And his dad is a former football player. His name's Arthur. And Arthur is um, older. He's resentful. He's bitter. He's angry. His best days are behind him. He had a great football career, and now everything is wrapped up in the fact that he doesn't get to be this 
star football player anymore. And Bart gets dropped off at a church camp by his mom, and he finds out when he gets home that his mother has just abandoned the family. She's no longer there. And so he's got to grow up with this very bitter, angry man. And he tries to do his best to, like, please him, to kind of, like, live according to his dad's standards. So he tries out football, but he isn't very good at that. And he, he wants to be an artist. He's creative. He likes to express himself, to make music. And so because of that, his relationship with his dad goes from bad to worse, and he decides to leave home after high school, and he vows he's never going to return ever again. There's too much pain. There's too much unreconciliation there. And so he, he forms this band. The name of the band is Mercy Me, as you might know. Um, and one of the things that happens to Bart in this band is he goes to Nashville. He's looking to make it big. And he gets um, to put on a show for all these record execs. Um, this major deal. Like he wants a, 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 a contract to be able to do this full time, to make money, to be successful. They think that it goes well at first, but then they find out afterwards that um, they just aren't good enough. They're not good enough to make it in Nashville, and he's crushed by this news. He's despondent. He quits the band, and he goes into cycles of sort of self-pity and self-condemnation. But his agent, who uh, knows Bart and loves him, says to him um, these key words. He says to him, Sometimes I see who you really are on stage, and it's genuine and magical. But usually I see a man wearing a mask who's hiding from something. What are you hiding from, son? What are you running from? Bart realizes that he's been running from the pain that was caused by his mom and his dad. This is the point. Bart is a Christian almost his entire life. And he's doing Christian things, yeah? He's singing about God. He's leading other people to God. He's investing in the youth and leading them to Jesus' presence. But he's living in the dark. He's living in the dark. He's running from who he is and where he's come from. So don't, don't miss this. He's doing Christian things. And those Christian things are the way that he's hiding from and escaping God. He's estranged from his mom. He's unreconciled to his dad. And he realizes that he's been using God to escape from his actual life. Can you relate to this? Maybe your story has different pain, different sadness, different loss. But I think all of us can relate to having something in our life that we desperately want to get away from. Maybe it's an unreconciled relationship with a parent or a spouse or a child. Maybe we're trying to get away from a situation that's caused us to feel incredible guilt or shame. Bart uses music to hide in the dark. Maybe you're not as talented as Bart, but we all find other ways to check out or to numb ourselves, to distract so that we don't have to deal with reality. Friends, we proclaim good news that in a world of darkness, pain, shame, where the best that we can do is to run or hide or escape from our real life for a bit, and maybe even use God to do so. Today, we proclaim that Jesus is the light of the world. He reveals who God is and who we are, 
so that we can deal with reality. And here's what's real. God is our advocate and our healer. He comes to restore, to redeem, to reconcile. So get to know this God today by coming out into the light. Face him and be healed. Our story today, John 8 and 9. I included two halves of this story. They don't at first maybe seem to be uh, part of the same story. There's a chapter break right in the middle. The people that constructed our Bibles and came up with all the numbers thought that maybe this is a new thing. But uh, those numbers and markers weren't in the original text. And um, the story about the blind man is intended by John, the author, to be an example of Jesus being the light. In the same way that the story last week of him feeding 5,000 people is meant to show how Jesus is the bread of life. These stories are connected. One illuminates the other. And and what it illuminates is what's real both about God and his character and about us and our reality. And it's a story of contrasts. Much like light and dark are contrasted with one another. On the one hand, you have the Pharisees in chapter 8 who think that they know and they see. They are experts of the law. And they grill Jesus on the law and tell them he cannot be uh, someone of light because he doesn't even have the requisite testimony of having like another witness to, to validate his story about who he is. They're challenging him. And then in, ver- in chapter 9, you have the blind man who has no idea who Jesus is, but receives Jesus' instructions and receives the gift of sight. The Pharisees, who are the religious sort of elites of Jesus' day, they are the gatekeepers of the temple. They are the interpreters of the law. And they're, as I said, they're, they're arguing with Jesus about the validity of his testimony, and they're doing it in the temple courts, which was... Yes, the place of God's presence for the nation of Israel, but it was all the, also the domain of their ultimate control. It's where they exercised their power and their influence. It's where they felt most comfortable and safe because they controlled everything in that environment. And so they confront Jesus. Later on, if you keep reading in chapter 9, you find out that, that when they find out about this blind man, and the fact that he points to Jesus as his healer, they, they intimidate his family. And they coerce and they insult the man himself because they cannot accept the reality of who Jesus is. And then you have the blind man who's been ostracized and stigmatized his entire life. He can't even go into the temple because his, his, his only way of making a living is to sit outside and wait for people to come and go so that they might have pity on him. One group cannot admit where they are. They can't face their ignorance and their blindness because their entire well-being is wrapped up in maintaining that darkness. They're invested in it. Because to to admit that they might be wrong about Jesus or blind to the reality of who he is is to threaten their entire way of life. In a sense, they're using God to hide from the God who is in their midst. And then you have the man, by contrast to this group, 
and his whole life is marked by ignorance and blindness. He has nothing to lose. And Jesus, the light of the world, meets him where he really is. I found it interesting as I was looking at this this week that um, the word know, to K-N-O-W, to know something or someone, it appears 21 times in John 8 and 9. And it's as if Jesus is saying to those who are too invested in their darkness to own where they really are, he says flat out to them, you don't know me and you don't know my Father. Here's what's scary to me as a pastor, as an educated person. I think I have more in common with the Pharisees than I do with the blind man. I think I do. I was trained in a system that taught me more about what it looks like to be and live as a Pharisee than to live as this man who is born blind. Here's what I mean by that. One of the qualifications for me to be able to stand here before you and have this title called pastor is that I had to study for a degree called a master of divinity. I had to master divinity. And what that means is there, there's a, a, a collection of knowledge that you have to master. And the way that you master that is by uh, reading a bunch of books and listening to a bunch of lectures, taking a bunch of notes, and then regurgitating and synthesizing that information back. Basically, you get information and you give it back to your professors. And if you make that exchange well enough, over the course of three to four years, you get to become a master of divinity. And I, I'm not sorry that I have an MDiv. Like, it's, it's a, like I wouldn't trade that. It's a good thing. <laughs> um, and I love the school that I came from, and there's a lot of good things happening there. But we have this idea that when someone takes four semesters of Hebrew and three semesters of Greek, that that must mean that you know the light of the world, that you're living in his light. Or that because I've read thousands of pages of theology that I actually know how to be with someone who's suffering and bring God's light to their life and their situation. Neither of those things are true. I actually had to learn how to do that after I mastered divinity. Mastering divinity and knowing Jesus, allowing him to meet, to meet me and to meet others where they really are, are two entirely different things. And the fact is, I'm really good at using the former to resist the latter. The good news that we proclaim, the good news of Jesus, it's not a set of intellectual beliefs. It's not a doctrine or a knowledge. It's not locked away somewhere where the ostracized and the stigmatized can't go to get it. The light of the world comes out of the temple and it meets People, maybe it meets you on the street corners where you actually live, in the places where you feel overlooked and misrepresented, in the places of your deepest pain and your, your deepest disappointment and your deepest regrets and your deepest doubts. He comes to you in those places ready to, to see you and to heal you, to restore you, to redeem you. He's ready to meet you where you really are today. 
Will you get to know this God of light by coming out of the darkness? Friends, we don't need to pretend that we're better than we really are. We don't need to show off our doctrine card or put on our Sunday best or tell people how we're in the right theological camps. Every time we do that, we miss the light of the world. John, who wrote this gospel, also wrote a letter to a community of Christians. And one of the first things he says in that letter is this, that if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Family, that means that we can be and should be at home in owning and naming where we really are. And and then he goes on to say that even if we do sin, we live in full confidence that Jesus is our advocate, that he's not our adversary who accuses us, he's not our antagonist who chides us with the truth, but he's, he's with us and for us, that he's fighting on our behalf. He's like a, a champion who goes to bat with us that says, let's look at this darkness together and see if we can't figure it out with some good news. So friends, we, we no longer have to hide. We no longer have to pretend like the darkness doesn't exist. If we say we have no darkness, the truth doesn't exist in us. We're like the Pharisees who are too blind to see our own darkness. We can live in the light. We can own what's real and even what's real about us. In the midst of, the, of all the things we want to escape or deny or hide from, today we proclaim the good news that Jesus is the light of the world. He reveals who God is and who we are so that we can deal with reality. And here's what's real. God is our healer and our advocate. He comes to restore, redeem, and reconcile. Get to know this God today by coming out into the light. Face him and be healed. So how do we uh, live this collectively and how do we respond to it personally? Collectively, here's one of the things that it means for us as a church whether you've been here for 10 years or today's your first time. Um, One of the things that we have to remember continuously is that um, we don't gather as a church in order to forget our troubles for a little while. So many of us have been taught to use our Christianity as an escape hatch to life. That one day we're going to get out of these dirty bodies and into this heavenly realm. And so for one hour a week, we're just going to live in that reality rather than this reality. And then it's going to make this reality all okay. Or at least I'll be able to live with it one day longer. That's not the gospel, friends. The gospel is not you getting out of this reality. The gospel, the good news of Jesus is that God comes into your reality to redeem it, to heal it, to help you live with it and through it, with the presence of God. 
We don't need an escape hatch. One of, the, one of the ways that we talk about gathering as a church as an escape hatch to life is by saying that, that we're going to get together to celebrate all the time. As if celebration is the only emotion, is the only activity that we're allowed to feel as Christians. Yes, we should be celebrating. Our, our God is risen from the grave. Yeah? Amen? That's good news. We should celebrate it. But the, the way that we find joy in celebration is not to deny where we really are. It's to allow the God who is real to come into our reality and overturn our sorrow into joy. We invite him in to our reality. We don't escape from our reality. We engage with what's real, which means, guess what? This is good news. You get to come here as you are. You get to come here as you are. Happy, sad, frustrated, lonely, confused, doubting. It's it's all good. It's all okay. The irony is so many of us were trained by well-meaning Christians that it's not safe to be where we really are. And so we have to pretend that we're somewhere else. You don't have to do that here. I'm learning more and more how to name and own where I really am in all of life and to just be okay with that and to wonder about maybe like the darkness that I see in my own heart, but like to to wonder about it with the light of the world in my presence. The other day I texted Mandy um, this thought. (laughs) I said, why is it that kids make almost everything I can think of worse? I wasn't joking. (laughs) I wish I were. A nice fall day and a car trip and a vacation. Like in that, like at the moment, I was like, everything I can think of. Like you add kids to the equation, and it like diminishes my joy. Why? And and immediately, as soon as I had that thought, and as soon as I texted it to Mandy, another thought came rushing into my head, which is, pastors aren't supposed to think this way about their kids. <laughs> Having this thought is not okay. And so I have to come up with a mechanism at that point to like push that thought out of my head because it's dirty and bad and wrong for me to have it. We all have mechanisms for not dealing with where we really are. My first instinct was denial. I'm not supposed to think this way. My second instinct was to justify. Well, here are all the reasons why it's okay for me to think this way. And I'm sure all kinds of other dads think this way all the time, and so I'm in good company. I can think this way too because every dad thinks this way. Next, my mind goes to advice. Here are all the strategies that I can employ not to think this way anymore. Here are all the gratitude mechanisms that I can employ so that I can be thankful for my kids and not be so pessimistic about them. Do you use any of these devices too? Denial, justification, advice giving to yourself or to other people? Like we all do this. And all of it is a way for us not to reckon with reality. To to not actually deal with what we really think and believe in any given moment. The reality is I have days when I think my kids are the worst. (laughs) The worst. 
and I wish I weren't a dad. And I think the good news of Jesus being the light of the world meets me in a place where I don't have to Pharisee my way out of it. I don't have to wrestle with Jesus about the testimony that he might want to bring into my real life. I don't need to argue with him about what's real. I can wonder with him about what kind of darkness actually might be living in me. What makes me think that my kids are a threat to my happiness rather than a gift for my joy? God, what are you trying to show me about my life and my heart and my belief system and where bad news is at work in me right now? I don't have to turn away from this. I can actually befriend it with compassionate curiosity. Friends, God is not an advocate for you and with you. He is not the light of the world when you're killing it at life. He's not fighting for you when you're doing everything as you should be doing it. He is with you and comes to you when you're aware of your darkness, when you're like a blind man on a street corner and you don't even know who he is anymore, when you're full of shame and fear and guilt and anxiety. He comes with light. And that light reveals who we are so that we can step into the light. We can trust God with it. We can share in partnership with him. I'm learning to do that. And learning to do it with my kids, too, with other people. Several months ago, I think it was, I was doing bedtime with Caleb. My kids get very philosophical at bedtime. They all become philosophers. They have, like the deepest questions of life come at 10 o'clock at night. And I was like, what, where, were, where was this the other 14 hours of the day? Like, now all of a sudden it all just comes out. A while ago, he says to me during a bedtime, I think it was just after we prayed, he goes, Dad, some days I wonder if God even exists. Sometimes I don't even know. What if he doesn't? When someone comes at you like with that kind of confession, how do you handle that? My son hasn't learned yet that that's not an okay confession as a Christian. Thank God. He's still honest with his dad, at least about one thing. <laughs> he hasn't learned that, how to hide that kind of questioning, that kind of doubt, that, that good Christians don't question the existence of God. And so we, <clears throat> we talked about it. But I found myself having to fight an urge to push him into the darkness by dismissing his doubt or answering his questions too quickly. Because as a dad, it scares me that he might not believe in God. And that fear can push me to try to get him to not reckon with his reality. You see that? I can impose my fear on him and then he can learn to hide in shame when he has doubts rather than to express them honestly with me. Jesus says he's the light of the world, and we think, man, that's glorious, that's wonderful. <clears throat> the light seems like such a great idea until it illuminates something that we don't want to see. We choose the darkness because it feels safer to us. Because there's some fear, guilt, or shame that's keeping us trapped in that darkness. 
But family, the, the light is where we get to know Jesus. It's where we experience his kingdom breaking into our lives. It's how we receive our sight back. Jesus is the light of the world. He reveals who God is and who we are so that we can deal with reality. And here's what's real. God is not waiting to shame you, guilt you, or fear you out of your doubts and out of where you really are. He's waiting to meet you in the darkness as your healer, as your advocate, so that he might restore you, redeem you, reconcile you. So get to know this God. This is who God really is. Come out into the light, face him, and be healed. It would be a tragedy, I think, if we um, heard this message about God being the light and then responded to it like Pharisees. And here's what I mean by that. Oftentimes, we hear a message like this, and our response to it is, we go, that's an interesting thought, Jesus. I will go home and I will think about that thought. I will use my thinker on that thought until I've figured it out, and once I have figured it out, I will come to you in the light. And if our story tells us anything, it tells us that God doesn't work that way. We can't think our way out of the darkness. And this is coming from someone who loves to think about stuff. I love thinking my way out of problems. And I can't think my way out of darkness. And neither can you. The way that you get out of darkness is by hearing the good news and responding with your body. That's what the blind man does. Jesus says to him, here's how you can see me. And the man goes and does it. He doesn't think, okay, well, I'm just going to think about taking a bath and then I'll be healed. No, he can't do that. He has to go and, and grab hold of the good news in order to appropriate it for his life. Do you see where I'm going? So how do we do that? Well, we're going to do it in a second with our response time. And we're going to pray. I'm going to pray and then... If you feel so led, if there is a, a darkness that you use to hide or escape from the presence of God, would you name it out loud in prayer? So I'm going to give us space. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to walk off the stage, and we're going to keep praying. And you don't have to do this out loud. Do it personally, but like with the presence of Jesus, if that means not speaking, you're free to do that. But I think some of us need to actually use our voices to get out of the darkness. Does that make sense? So I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave the stage. I'm going to give you some, maybe a, a way to pray. And then Matthew's going to come up and kind of lead us into the rest of our response time. Does that make sense? Okay. This is an invitation to live in the light of the one who said, I am the light of the world. We're going to pray. If it's helpful, use these words. Jesus, help me to meet you where I really am in my, and name it. Help me to meet you where I really am in my, and name your reality. Where do you need Jesus to meet you as the light of the world today? The good news is that God is a good father who knows what you need before you ask, and so you don't have to use perfect words to get him to work. 
Let's pray. Lord, let us hear and respond to the good news that we've heard today. We don't want to become smarter. We want to become more faithful to who you are. Don't allow your word to become limited to our thoughts only, but have your way in all of us today by your spirit. Shine your light. Bring healing to us. Lord, as you give us the faith, may we pray out loud or in our hearts, help me to meet you where I really am.